Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You can subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. For the past decades, the United States has struggled with an ongoing opioid crisis. Initially sparked by the widespread use of prescription opioids, the crisis has deepened through the introduction of synthetic products. What the Centers for Disease Control refers to as the third wave of the opioid crisis began in 2013 with significant increases in the overdose deaths involving synthetic drugs, particularly illicitly manufactured fentanyl. The market for illicitly manufactured fentanyl continues to change, and it can be found in combination with heroin, counterfeit pills, and cocaine. But in 2018, more than 31,000 deaths involving synthetic opioids occurred in the United States, which is more deaths than from any other type of opioid. Synthetic opioid-involved death rates increased by 10% from 2017 to 2018 and accounted for 67% of opioid-involved deaths in 2018 the last year for which we have full data. Fentanyl's significance in this opioid crisis is due not only to its deadly properties, but also because a great deal of the fentanyl entering the United States comes from China. According to the U.S. International Trade Commission, China was the source of 97% of inbound shipments of high-purity fentanyl during 2016 and 17, and remains a primary source. This has international complications that have reached the highest levels. It has appeared on the agenda of meetings between President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping. Xi had promised to ban the Chinese export of fentanyl as of May 1st, 2019, but the problem has not gone away. How should we understand the role of fentanyl in the opioid crisis and its role in the international drug trade in general and U.S.-Chinese relations in particular? Our guest today, Lieutenant Colonel Heidi Monroe, is deeply familiar with these topics and joins us to discuss them. A graduate of the U.S. Army War College, class of 2020, Lieutenant Colonel Monroe is a member of the Idaho Army National Guard, where she has served for nearly 20 years. Currently acting as the state's joint medical planner for COVID-19, she is also the administrative officer for the medical detachment and full-time clinician for the Office of the State Surgeon. In this position, she advises the assistant to the adjutant general in all aspects of medical readiness, healthcare, medical personnel, medical operational and mobilizational issues, and medical training pertaining to the state. She works closely with the Air National Guard medical team, as well as reservists and active component soldiers assigned in the great state of Idaho. So we coming to us from Idaho is Lieutenant Colonel Monroe. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to A Better Peace. Thank you, Ron. First of all, thank you for reading my paper and for finding it intriguing enough to talk about on your podcast. So I'm really excited to do this. Uh, You know, I graduated in June, um, Mm -hmm. but I have not stopped thinking about the topic of illicit fentanyl. Well, and this is good because... 
Well, good. Well, because it's a it's a it's a very interesting uh, and important topic, and uh, it is uh, another way for us here at a better piece to talk about and to highlight the work of students at the Army War College, all of whom uh, are uh, produce what we call a strategy research project, um, a, a major research project at the end of their year of study. And yours was indeed on fentanyl. So I want to ask you, how did you come to the study of this problem? So it came about um, kind of accidentally. Uh, I as, all great, as all great academic <laughs> adventures do. Yes, I didn't have an idea for a project at the start of last year. Some people go into the program already knowing what they want to research. I did not have that. During one of our classes, the strategic leadership course in early fall, we were talking about complex adaptive problems and different ways to go about solving them. One of the three topics we talked about was the opioid epidemic in America. Hmm. And I thought, well, I know quite a bit about this already. And I especially have um, been watching it from the National Guard and Reserve um, component side of the crisis. So I thought I would write about the opioid epidemic and particularly the increase in overdose deaths. Hmm. Well, then at the same time, in another class, in our national security class, we were learning about the nature and character of war, about near-peer adversaries, and in particular about something called gray zone warfare, particularly with China and Russia. Hmm. So while I was taking both of those classes and starting to research um, my opioid topic, I learned that nearly all of the opioid overdoses were actually from a, a drug called illicit fentanyl, and that over 90% of that fentanyl comes from China. Hmm. So when I was thinking about complex problems and then at the same time, gray zone warfare, I wondered in my mind if there was a connection between the two. So that sure. led me to research it. Well, and so if um, uh, the audience has heard your biography, but just to clarify a couple things for the uh, for people who might not be familiar with the National Guard. So you've been uh, your active duty National Guard. So this is your this is your full time job, correct? Correct. Correct. So were you were you always in the medical field in the Guard, or is this something that? Yes. So in other words, so this kind of public health question, you're familiar with dealing with public health questions even before you came to the War College. Definitely. And I've been kind of on top of the opioid crisis for, you know, since I started medicine in the 90s. Mm -hmm. You know, I was at mm -hmm. the initial onset of the, you know, drug reps coming around trying to get you to prescribe their oxycodone and hydrocodone. So right. this, this is part of who I am as a provider. Right. Well, and, and so uh, an interesting way that you, you come to the War College and it allows you to or encourages you to take a familiar problem, but to look at it in uh, slightly different ways or to, to enrich your understanding of it. So we think about this as a public health issue, but also as a national security issue. Um, I want to, I want to, our conversation, I want to sort of look at each of those parts separately first and then pull them together. Okay. So one is generally, um, how would you characterize the uh, the relationship of fentanyl to the to larger drug problems in this country. We've talked about the numbers of of deaths, but how should we understand what makes fentanyl uh, different or special or anything um, in dealing with our drug problems in the country? Yeah. So you um, mentioned it briefly in your introduction, um, and I mentioned it a little bit about my civilian practice. So I started mm -hmm. um, medicine in the '90s when. We were just beginning to 
prescribe opioids such as hydrocodone and oxycodone um, with the thought that anyone that has pain um, should have it treated. Mm -hmm. And so there was this over-prescribing of um, these narcotic medications with the assumption that they were not um, addictive. Mm -hmm. And so probably, you know, five, 10 years in, it became very clear that they were very addictive. And so the DEA started to crack down. Uh, the Board of Medicines started to crack down. They started, um, you know, limiting who could prescribe these medications. And by that time, people had become addicted to the medicine. So it became harder to get prescription medicines. So people that were addicted started going to the streets and trying originally trying to buy the prescription drugs on the street. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. they couldn't find it, they turned to something called black tar heroin that was introduced probably around the 2000s, 2010 mm -hmm. mark. And so that was, so the prescription medicine was the first wave of the opioid epidemic. And then this black tar heroin became the second wave. Mm -hmm. And so where did fentanyl come from? I mean, it, it, leaving aside the question of whether it physically comes from China, which we're going to talk about in greater detail, but just um, how does fentanyl emerge as a, is there, are there legitimate uses for fentanyl that brought it onto the market before it began to be used illicitly as a, you know, for addicts of opioids? Yeah. So, so the first wave and the second wave that we've talked about, then people started going not only to the street, but they started going online to look for different ways to get these pharmaceutical hydrocodone, oxycodone. And um, also in that first wave of prescription medication, you know, hydrocodone, oxycodone, they were for moderate to severe pain after surgery or those kind of things. Well, there's mm -hmm. another product called fentanyl that was saved for the most severe pain for cancer patients, hospice patients, um, childbirth, uh, inpatient surgeries. It was mostly confined to the hospitals until, until that first wave in the early 90s. They started um, with a patch that you could use for your uh, really uh, high severe pain patients. And the reason they used it on a patch is because it was so potent, they didn't want you to take a pill and then you get all the effect at once or have the chance of overdosing on it. So they put it on a slow-release patch. Gotcha. So there was the legitimate fentanyl, mm -hmm. and then that started going to the street. Well, when with the onset of the internet, people started looking for that hydrocodone, oxycodone, and then eventually fentanyl on the internet. Mm -hmm. And- you could just do a Google search and bring up fentanyl and be able to buy it directly from China. Hmm. Uh, so that's where it originally started coming to America. Um, you could buy it and have it shipped directly from China through the mail. So Heidi, you mentioned that as a, in its official form, fentanyl is often given as a patch um, because too much, you can get to too much very quickly. Um, how much fentanyl uh, is in the typical illicit dose? And how is this different and dang more dangerous than the, uh, the legal doses of fentanyl? That is, um, that's a good question. And that literally is the million dollar question. So mm -hmm. the problem with pharmaceutical fentanyl, it's properly dosed and pop properly 
titrated either with it's usually like a lozenge or a transdermal patch so that you just get enough medicine over time. But the illicit fentanyl comes in a powder form. And it looks, um, if you see pictures of it, it looks almost like salt. So a one milligram dose is the equivalent of two grains of salt. And a two milligram dose, um, and one milligram is a typical dose, but a two milligram dose or four grains of salt, that's enough to kill someone. Um, So the amount of fentanyl added to heroin or pills or whatever it's cut with is going to differ by batch. You know, the stuff coming out of China has been produced by professional chemists. Mm -hmm. By the time it gets to the U.S., either um, the individual that's ordered it through the mail or the drug dealer, they're not chemists, so they don't know how to mix it properly. Um, So at best, they estimate. And so, you know, a typical dose might be fine one one day, but misdosed the next day and it will kill someone. Mm -hmm. We had a... um, Another fatality in Idaho just uh, last week where a teenager took one pill that he had bought from someone off the street and overdosed because it ended up being fentanyl. And there's never any rhyme or reason to how much you're going to get. It's so dangerous that people that know that they're buying heroin off the street or pills off the street, they're aware now that fentanyl could be in it. So they actually buy fentanyl test strips to test the drug they typically do to make sure it doesn't have fentanyl. Wow. In the event, yeah, it's horrible. In the event that it does have fentanyl, they make sure that they use the drug with another person um, and that that other person has Narcan or the antidote uh, so that it could save them if they overdose. It's, it's really, it's, pretty alarming. And a lot of it, um, a lot of it was back in Pennsylvania. So when I was at the war college, I was actually planning to go do some work in uh, Philadelphia with a, um, with a nonprofit that makes sure that uh, people on the street have access to this antidote or the Narcan Mm -hmm. and know how to identify, identify people that have overdosed. Um, It's slowly making its way out West, Uh, really a pretty much a an East Coast drug for now, but um, uh, very scary. Indeed. And am am I correct uh, that what what also what makes fentanyl especially uh, sort of interesting, I'd say, uh, to to put it mildly, as a drug is that it is is completely synthetic, correct? So it's not based on any natural product. So it can be made in a lab by people who have the sophistication to do to do that, right? There's no there's no natural product connected, no opium poppy. Yeah. So um cocaine, marijuana, um, you know, the poppy for heroin, all of that takes soil and climate and growers and, you know, an, an entire trade to mm-hmm. to uh, cultivate it and grow it. Um, but Fentanyl and other synthetic opioids, they're completely man-made in um, laboratories. And the interesting part is you would think, you know, I would think of something like the meth labs that we're used to seeing even in the movies or in Breaking Bad. You know, you can make this mobily in a, you know, in a Winnebago driving down the highway. But it's not like that. Almost 
over 90% of the world's supply is manufactured in China. Hmm. And from all the research I've done, it's not it's not in these illicit labs. It's in professional chemistry labs that do this for a living. So they make the pharmaceutical grade product, but then there's also this offshoot that's um, shipping out illicit fentanyl to mostly to the Mexican cartels into America, but it's somewhat going getting into Europe as well now. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's it's it has to be made in in or it is at least largely made in these large professional laboratories. Do we do we know why uh, why it's not made more in other places in the world? Do other uh, is is this a matter of, uh, of of many things that the Chinese market uh, uh, Chinese production is so inexpensive that it's not worthwhile for anybody to for even for the uh, legitimate fentanyl for it to be made anyplace else other than China? So I don't know specifically on that. I mm-hmm. know that India is starting to get into the trade mm-hmm. and Mexico is also now that they've the cartels have kind of taken over the fentanyl trade. They're starting to produce some of it themselves. Mm-hmm. But all of the precursor chemicals to to make the the fentanyl and the synthetic drugs, they get that from China. So from China. Any way you look at it, all the precursors or the complete product comes from China. Interesting. Um, and in general, how does the U.S. military, this is to, to bring in your, your military experience now, and the, um, how does the U.S. military handle or how has the U.S. military handled the, the opioid crisis and where does fentanyl fit into that uh, policy matrix? From everything that I've learned at the War College, studying uh, the national security strategy and everything that I've learned and the people I've talked to, the military treats illicit drugs and uh, narcotic trade as a crime. So it's a transnational Mm. crime. So because of that, they don't really have a way to act on it. They can help um, identify you know, vessels at sea that might be carrying illegal drugs or um, they can they can work with law enforcement um, to counteract the problem, but they can't do much more about it. Hmm. And and this is because this is true in in the in the, the the quote war on drugs in general is the U.S. military does not play the active role here. It's other government law enforcement agencies that are primarily responsible for the war on drugs, correct? Yes. So mm. I talked to um, several officers from the Navy while I was doing my research, and they said they, they definitely um, work at sea to help identify what vessels might be carrying illegal drugs. But once once they've identified it, then they hand it off to um, law enforcement. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So to bring in then the, this national security question is when you began to study this, uh, the fentanyl problem as a national security problem rather than simply a public health problem or a, a law enforcement problem, um, what is your sense of, of how thinking of this as a national security problem can or should change our approach to the problem of two fentanyl coming from China? I'm not sure that I ever actually got to an answer on that. Um, and <laughs> it, well, it, we can talk about the questions, right? This is yeah, the best part so about I, academic I, research, right? Exactly. I think the biggest thing that I wanted to show with this paper is we at least need to identify it as a problem mm-hmm. and start thinking about it and start studying it and start talking about it. You know, when I was 
Um, but when I mentioned that I was going to study this as my um, research paper for the year, I kind of got an eye roll from several people and, you know, like, um, it's a drug problem, mm-hmm. you know, that's a social problem. It's it's not really a military problem. And of course, it, it affects members of the military and families that are connected to the military. So the military should be interested. But let's, so let's then think about this. If, if it is a national security problem up to now, um, I mentioned in the intro, the uh, discussion between President Xi and President Trump. What has been the nature of sort of official Chinese American discussions about the fentanyl trade? First of all, China, the Chinese government has denied any problem. They don't mm. believe that the drug is coming from China and they don't show any proof of it. Um, and so for years it went on that they just denied it. Mm. And then I think as um, President Trump in particular started to put sanctions um, and put more pressure on stopping the trade, they did decide to um, control or schedule the drug in China mm-hmm. so that um, fentanyl could not be produced there. Mm-hmm. And the the chemists and the manufacturers there, you know, they, they follow the rules. So they stopped producing fentanyl as we know it. But you can tweak just a simple molecule of it and make it into a different drug altogether. So they started producing these analogs. Uh, and so the America has already caught on to that. And so we've kind of controlled and scheduled um, all analogs of fentanyl. But they had only done the one up until about two years ago. And they started scheduling more of them. And the last we heard, and I think you mentioned it in your intro, by May of 2019, they decided to um, schedule all analogs of mm-hmm. fentanyl as well. But we still continue to get the product and it still continues to come from China. So it's hard to say if they mm-hmm. can't control it or if they're simply not putting enough effort into it. I know from the research I've seen, we have sent American officials there to kind of try to help with the uh, export of the drugs. And um, they typically have problems getting visas or um you know, have difficulties once they get there of getting involved at all. Gotcha. Well, and because I'm 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 sitting here you know, through this conversation and all of the uh, the reading that I've done and that we've talked about before this, that you know there are drugs that come into the United States from other countries, right? Cocaine from Colombia, from Bolivia. I can think of about meth that's that meth that's made in Mexico, fentanyl if it's produced in China. What what is different about a major uh, problematic, illicit drug coming from China rather than coming from someplace else as a national security problem? Well, I think one of the biggest things right now um, is that China is, you know, they're trying to become a world power. They're trying to become economically superior and they have they have um, different initiatives. You know, we talk about some of their tactics. They're building artificial islands in the South China Sea. They're mm-hmm. building the Belt and Road Initiative. They have different ways of going about um, gaining their superiority. And I think um, when America talks about China and gray zone activities, 
we almost always concentrate on several things. Um, artificial island building in the South China Sea, the Belt and Road Initiative, what they're doing with 5G technology. And they all have economic implications. So I think that worries our policymakers, but none of them even um, approach the subject of drugs or fentanyl or things that are actually killing tens of thousands of Americas, where it seems like we're worried about the economic implications, um, but somehow overlook the things that are killing our own people. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess this is what I'm, 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 thinking about too, is there's a, there's a defensive aspect here um, that, well, this is an argument that the United States as a society needs to do a better job of helping people to uh, meet and overcome uh, drug addiction, uh, it, no matter where the drugs are coming from. Uh, and then certainly we would also want to interdict the flow of those drugs into this country. But as long as there is a market in the United States for these drugs, um, can we uh, that that raises that that difficult question of, you know, what are we trying to tell the Chinese, um, and how how should we deal with the fact if the Chinese produce it, um, if we weren't buying it, the Chinese would just be having lots and lots of fentanyl in in China someplace, um, which would be their problem. It's our problem because we're using it. But is there? How do you see the interplay between sort of uh, dealing with it as a national security problem and a U.S.-Chinese relations problem versus viewing it as a uh, a domestic public health slash law enforcement problem? Yeah, and so that is the big question because the demand will likely always be there. The problem with this synthetic drug is that we, I mean, America's had a, a drug problem for as long as America's been America, but. Right. With um, in the past, people, I believe, chose the the drug, their drug of choice. They under, once they know it and understand it and are accustomed to it, that that's the life they choose. I'm not advocating for it, but let's say, uh, you know, a guy that's been using heroin since the '70s knows how much he normally takes um, has his life has adjusted to it. it. It doesn't even matter, you know, if he's homeless on the street, if he's been doing this and this is his drug of choice for a while, that's one thing. But now all of a sudden this fentanyl is introduced to the supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drug users don't know about it and they're dying from it. So someone might have, you know, they might choose to use cocaine or they might choose to use ecstasy or, you know, smoke marijuana or any of these things, but they are not choosing on their own to use fentanyl. Mm -hmm. That, um, so to say, I guess to say it's demand driven, I think, yes, it's demand driven by the drug dealers that are cutting it into our products, but there's not necessarily a demand for fentanyl. Gotcha. How do you, what do you think going forward, what kind of policy suggestions, right? Assuming that, you know, we're not in a position to make hard and fast, uh, you know, policy, uh, a new policy, but let's, what kind of suggestions would you have for, uh, assuming that what you've, what you've have here about the, the role of China and Chinese, China is at best ambiguous role in producing fentanyl and making sure it gets to the United States. What should the, uh, the United States military um, and more broadly, the United States government, uh, what should we be thinking of doing in order to respond to this ongoing challenge? 
So I think the first thing we need to do is talk about it, mm -hmm. um, educate people about it, um, and make sure that everyone understands um, the issue. And then get the military talking with law enforcement. And, and I think we are, we are doing that. You know, the National Guard has a counter-drug program that works closely with local law enforcement. I know the Navy's doing quite a bit. Um, Special Forces do quite a bit. Um, but mostly being educated. Mm -hmm. I think the next thing more, uh, maybe not the military so much as other national security partners, um, would be to figure some way of working internationally to have maybe similar products that check uh, freight before it you know, gets loaded onto ships or monitors mail or looks for the drugs in uh, different shipments and that kind of thing. I think if we shared information more, that that would help um, identify where the problem, uh, where the drug is coming from, and maybe um, would allow us to be stricter about it coming mm -hmm. from China. Right. Um, th th I think it has to be an, you know, it can't just be America has an opioid problem, mm -hmm. so this is a problem with America and China. It's got to be a global problem, and we're going to need help from others with it. Mm -hmm. So we need to find ways to think about it, to study it, and to engage in open conversations like like we've tried to do today. It's not there yet, but I mm -hmm. think one of the other ways the military is going to get involved is that um, fentanyl really can be looked at as a weapon of mass destruction. So mm -hmm. already in our um, civil support teams, or we call them the CSTs, um, in the um, counter-drug world, they are looking at fentanyl uh as a weapon of mass destruction. And once we label it as that and start calling it that way, then when you get a shipment with, you know, 50,000 tons of fentanyl on it, there's, there's no other reason um, than destruction. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think looking at it differently, not thinking of it as only a social problem, um, thinking of it more as a deliberate um, destruction problem. All right. That might help. Great. Well, thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Heidi Monroe, for joining us to talk about this. It's a tough subject, but uh, I'm I'm delighted that uh, that you were able to join us to talk about it. And you know, congratulations on the uh, the SRP, as we call it here at the War College. Congratulations on your graduation, and I hope that you'll uh, uh, you'll keep us posted um, as you continue to study this problem and as you uh, as you continue your work with the Idaho Guard. But uh, we really do appreciate you joining us today on a better piece. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs and send us your suggestions. We're always interested in hearing from you. And please subscribe to A Better Piece. And after you have subscribed to A Better Piece on a podcast, the podcatcher of your choice, we hope that you will also rate and review this program to tell other people about it because that's how they can hear about it. And then they can join us for these discussions as well. And we look forward to having you all join us again soon. And until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.com.
www.armywarcollege.edu and have a great day.